Awesome. Lara, she was just so peaceful. She was just resting in the Lord. Give it up for Lara. She's awesome. That's good. And give it up for our worship team. Don't they do a great job of leading us into the presence of God? That's a beautiful thing. Just by a show of hands, how many of you feel like you've got your answer you've been seeking from the Lord that had that hand on your heart? Man, that's awesome. Look at that. Praise God. Amazing. God is good. That's where you say amen. You know, last week we started a conversation around warfare and uh, the spiritual fight that we're all engaged in, whether we're aware of it or not, or not. And last week I really just spent the time making sure that, one, we're aware that there is a fight going on around us in this air, this realm of the Spirit, and that we have to, one, if we're going to fight well and wage good warfare, we have to, one, be aware of the fight going on around us, and two, we have to be aware of what or who we're fighting. And then three, we need to have the Holy Spirit, the great teacher, show us how to fight a good fight and how to wage good warfare. And we learn that our fight is not against people. I need a better amen. Our fight is not against people. It's not against your neighbor who continually lets their dog in your yard and deposits little offerings in your front yard or in your driveway. Your fight is not against the difficult person at work that you tried to avoid. Your fight is not against the family member that you can't stand to be around because they constantly point out your flaws and only speak negativity. It's easy for us to get confused on what we're, who we're fighting because a lot of us are looking totally at our situation through carnal means. We see this negativity or this difficulty manifesting through a person and we immediately assume that they're the enemy. And last week we started a conversation around understanding that the nature of the spirit realm is that it's constantly seeking an avenue through which to materialize itself. The Holy Spirit and the unholy spirit are seeking avenues to materialize themselves. And how many of you know that those avenues are people? People are under the influence of spirits. People are under the influences of principalities and powers. And as the people of God, we have to learn how to be discerning and recognize when an unholy spirit is at work in our thought life, in our relationships, in our behaviors. And we've got to learn how to take authority over those things. But we don't do that until we first learn how to submit to God, submit to the Holy Spirit. I talked to you last week just in the point of review here at the beginning that so many people are losing fights spiritual fights because they're focused just on what the enemy's doing and not paying attention to what God's saying and willing to do in our hearts and life. The book of James says that we have to first submit to God and resist the devil if he's going to flee from us. And warfare is really in fighting a good fight in the spirit is learning how to engage in daily disciplines, daily habits, daily modes of worshipful expression that bring us into a conscious awareness of God's presence and His power in our lives. And we listed a few of those things last week about cultivating an atmosphere of worship around us. We talked a little bit just in passing about prayer and the point of prayer. We talked a little bit about scripture reading and the point of scripture reading, but I want to zone in tonight and zoom in on this fight in our lives and really what the fight is. Last week we talked about just what we're fighting and we've recognized that it is the devil and principalities and powers out of Ephesians 6 that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood 
And we wrestle against principalities, powers, and spiritual authorities in this present darkness. Not people. But tonight I want to talk about what the nature of this fight is and what the title, if you will, that we could give this fight that we're warring with in the spirit and spirits that we're warring against on a day-to-day basis. And really, we need to understand before we talk about what this fight is about, we have to understand that this type of warfare, spiritual warfare, is not anything new. Spiritual warfare is not something new to you and to your life. It's been going on since before you were aware of it. And it's been going on since before you were around. And to understand that the Scripture and that all Scripture is inspired by God, according to the Apostle Paul, for teaching, for doctrine, for reproof and correction. So we can go back and see in the Scriptures a precedent and even a model for what type of fight this is that we're engaged in. And some tips, some strategies, some tools from the Word of God and how to wage good warfare. And if we're really going to talk about the subject of spiritual warfare, we can't go anywhere except the beginning. And by that, I mean the book of Genesis, specifically chapter 3. You should know the story well. God wanted a family, so he decided to create Adam in his image according to his likeness. And it was the pinnacle of his creation. And out of that, he saw that Adam didn't need to be alone, so he made Eve uh, help, help meet how many Husbands in the room are thankful that God had a wife for you in mind before you knew that you needed one. Amen? It's good. Husbands, that was your your chance, man. You guys, you need to come to my life group in the morning and uh, help you there. Some of my life group guys are here. Tonight we had a good group this morning, didn't we? It was good. It was good. Good. All right. Awesome. Uh, We want to go back and take a look at things from the beginning. So if you have your Bibles, your phones, whatever, let's start in Genesis 3. Genesis 3. So God's created everything. He's made mankind. And we have this interesting thing that happens in Genesis 3. And what we have is that Eve is strolling around the Garden of Delight. Did you know the word Eden means delight? And just as kind of a side note, that God's original plan and purpose for humanity is and, and was and still is today, delight. God wants you to live in a place of divine joy and pleasure with Him And that's why we have so many counterfeit opportunities to experience. And everybody's craving a joy, a happiness. And how many of you know that when you were lost, you were receiving that through counterfeit means? But God's intention for all of you is that you would come into a place of being able to keep company in His presence. Which the book of Psalms says, in His presence is fullness of joy. And at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. God's will and destiny for your life is to be able to live in a garden of delight with Him through this spirit of adoption that he's placed on the inside of you that reveals it and releases it into your heart and then one day in total consummation when Jesus rules and reigns on this earth. If you don't get happy about that, you need to get saved. All right, amen. So Genesis chapter 3, we have this story, this account of creation and this is the part of the story that we wish didn't happen but the reality is that it did. And it's our job now to go back and learn from some mistakes that were made here in our ancestors, Adam and Eve. So this is the first account that I have found in the scriptures. If you see anything in chapters 1 and 2 uh, to, to say any different, then come and tell me. I'd love to learn. But this is the first account of what I would classify as spiritual warfare in the Bible. And this is Eve going on a stroll in the Garden of Delight in She's coming up uh, to passing by one of the trees. And out of the tree, there's this serpent. There's this creature. We all know him to be the devil that chooses to speak. Talk about the first time 
that a spirit tried to seek an avenue through which to materialize itself. And it did so through this serpent creature thing. What you got to know about the nature of the spirit realm is Peter tells us this in one of his epistles, that there's a variety of spirits that have gone out into the world and that we have to learn how to test or discern the spirits around us because not all spirits come from God. And if Peter says we have to learn how to test the spirits, that means that they have some point of interaction with us. And I'm going to propose to you tonight and show you, and toward the end of this message, that this interaction point with us, it happens through thoughts and voices that we pick up through the airwaves around us and they end up here in our minds. Attitudes, emotions, and feelings that we step into. And I'll show you that here in just a few moments. But Eve's walking and she discerns, she hears this voice being released into the air from the devil through this serpent-like creature. And she hears, and we... Here's the thing you need to know about the enemy, is that any time the enemy seeks to attack you in an area of your life, he does this every single time, but in any area that the enemy is attacking you, you need to pay attention to how he does it and when he does it, because he'll always reveal his strategy to you. His, his attacking you, if you're a discerning, spirit-filled Christian, walking in fellowship with the Lord, should actually be ammunition that you now have against him, because he's revealed himself and whatever scheme he is trying to operate in in your life. And the devil's not creative. There's only one creative force in the entire universe, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. The devil only twists and perverts the things that God creates. He has no creative power. So if you pay attention to the areas and the ways that you commonly fall into temptation, if you pay attention to the areas and ways and attitudes that you struggle with, if you pay attention to the mindsets that you constantly have to think yourself out of or the bombarding thoughts that come against you or the settings and time when those things happen or the times of the day, whatever it might be, if you pay attention to where the enemy is trying to infiltrate your life, he'll give away his position. And you have the ability to use that against him. And that's kind of what happens here. There's this exchange between the serpent and Eve that we can learn a lot from in regards to spiritual warfare. I told you Ephesians 6 says our fight is against the devil and these cosmic powers. Everybody say, my fight is a spiritual one. Genesis 3. This voice comes forth from the serpent. Eve picks up on it. And essentially, this is what the devil says. He says, is it true... Some translations say this way. Did God really say that if you ate from the tree he told you not to eat from, that you would die? Did God really say that? And the first thing that we learn, in hindsight, it's always 2020. And thanks to Adam and Eve, we've got something that we can learn here. And the same thing's true in your life is that your mess up has the potential to be somebody else's message. If you allow yourself to learn by the Spirit of God and now use that as part of your testimony, what the enemy meant from your harm can actually prevent someone from falling into the same trap. Right? That's why God sometimes gets accused of causing bad things because he's so good about bringing good things out of bad things. But he never causes the bad. Amen? So the enemy sends out this thought. It's a thought that Eve has not thought before. 
We know this because of how the way she responds. We know this because of the events that ensue this exchange, this verbal encounter, this conversation. First thing that we can take away from this is that it's never a good idea to have a conversation with the devil. Eve didn't know that. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Some of you, the problem in your life is you talk too much to the devil. I don't talk with the devil. I speak at him. But I don't talk with him. Are you following me? We don't need to be having conversations with the devil. Amen. All right. You're saying amen until you come see me for counseling. And I have to remind you that you're having a conversation with the devil. All right. So say amen and mean it, which means do it. Amen. Don't have a conversation with the devil. All right. And there's this interesting thing the devil asks. And I told you he's not creative. He did this in Adam and Eve's life, and he'll do the same thing in your life. And this is what he does, is he gets you to question God's word every single time. Not seeking to understand God's word, but he'll actually bank on the fact that a lot of times we don't understand. And what he'll do is, is in the places and times when we don't understand why God has said what he said, or we don't understand why God's word isn't being fulfilled in this area of our life. Our lack of understanding, if we don't learn how to fight the fight of faith, which is the type of fight we're supposed to be fighting, and what the fight actually is in the spirit realm is it's a fight of faith. First Timothy chapter 6 tells us that we're supposed to fight the good fight of faith. So it's the fight of faith, the warfare, the title of the battle that we're on, that's, un, that's undergoing day in and day out in our lives is a fight of faith. And the enemy knows this and he operates in our life to get us to question the thing we're supposed to be having faith in and that's God's word. That's what God says. And so many times we have a word from God that we're not seeing a manifestation of or we have this sense of God's peace that we're trying to reconcile in the midst of this situation. The enemy always banks on our lack of understanding. And what happens is, is when we have a word from God in this situation, a word of morality, a word of right or wrong, God clearly said, do not eat from this tree. But Eve didn't ask the question why. She just was going to choose to obey God until the enemy exposed the fact that she didn't really understand why God had told her to do that. Because if she would have understood it, she wouldn't have taken the bait, would she? Sometimes God tells you something. Sometimes you have a promise for God, from God. And because you're not seeing the manifestation of that thing in your present reality. Or because you're not really understanding why God's told you that thing. You get led into a place of temptation by the enemy through means of one or two things. One of the things that we get led in temptation with in regards to the enemy. For example, if God gives us a word that we see from the scripture that his promise for our life is healing in a particular area. But we're experiencing a meantime of a manifestation of that healing. The fact that we don't understand why God's word isn't coming to pass in our life. The enemy will maximize on us asking the question, why? Why is this not happening? And what will happen is, is that actually... Out of a, that wait time, the ability for suspicion and fear to breed in our hearts will actually lead us to an action of unbelief. The enemy banks on our inability to understand. And I have news for you today. That as a Christian, you're not called to understand everything. You're called to believe God. 
And I'll make a case for you a little bit later that the only way that we actually see whether or not you have understanding is if you remain in a place of faith. Because if you understood God's character and if you understood faith, you know the only way to really have understanding is to remain in faith and not get into unbelief. Another thing that the enemy can lead us in in terms of temptation is a morality question, a right or wrong deal, like this situation with the tree that God told Eve not to eat from. God will say, don't do this because this is wrong. How many of you have heard the Lord tell you that something was wrong, not to do it? And maybe you didn't hear it directly in your ear, in your heart, but maybe growing up you had a parent that showed you from the Word of God that that behavior was wrong, or you had a preacher tell you, but something happened in regards to this why question. God said it's wrong, but why? And your lack of understanding why it was wrong, and when you went to go seek out and actually gain understanding from somebody in authority, they just told you, well, because I told you so. Or you don't need to know. And what that did is that produced something in you called a lustful curiosity. And you decide, well, I'll just test it to see how wrong it really is. Welcome to spiritual warfare. Having a word from God and not seeing a manifestation of that word. And having a word from God in a corrective way. Even what Tate was prophesying at the beginning of the message tonight, a a discipline-type word, a corrective conversation with the Lord. You don't need to do that. But this is what happens is that we're constantly wrestling between faith and our need to understand everything. That's the fight. And the enemy always maximizes that place in time when we're leaning more toward really wanting to understand than we're leaning towards needing to stand in faith. And that's where we have open door and access points in our lives. Eve dropped it. One, she entertained the devil in a conversation that should have never happened. And we're going to look at the life of Jesus and his temptation here at a moment. And we're going to see how Jesus handled it versus how Eve handled it. We're going to gain some truth for our life. How many of you know that Adam and Eve aren't the model for our lives? Christ is the new Adam and he's the model for our life in this new creation. So we learn what went wrong with Adam and Eve... And we can learn from them and not be doomed to repeat that failure, but we learn from the life of Christ and how to fight this fight of faith. So this question in regards to needing to understand and needing to stay in a place of faith, but wondering why, that's the majority of the time what this fight of faith really is. And here's the thing. The enemy banks on this lack of understanding, and instead of us resting in a place of trust... In regards, to God's, in, re, in regards to God's character, we become tempted. Here's the thing that we always have to go back to, and this is how you fight good warfare. When you have a word from God that you're not seeing manifest yet, or you've got a word from God that's telling you no about a situation, you're always going to be suspicious of what God says until His heart's revealed to you. When I understand that God only tells me no in regards to something that has the capacity to steal my joy and rob me of my destiny, then I receive the no from the Lord with joy because I know it's protection. When I receive a promise from the Lord and understand that His promise coming to pass in my life is dependent on His character, not my ability and my performance, I can be confident and have faith in God's promise. But as soon as I let religion get in there and 
self-works and self-righteousness. And I think that I've got to do all these things so that God's promise will come to pass in my life. That's whenever I now get into a place to be tempted to operate out of fear and suspicion. And I end up a lot of times in the place of unbelief, which is the only thing that really does have the capacity, if we're not careful, to render the true operating power of God in our life of none effect. I want to say totally, because even in the city of unbelief, Jesus was still able to heal some sick folk. It just said he couldn't do any mighty miracle there. What an awesome thing to think about that healing of the sick is just the bottom rung of the ladder in regards to the mighty works that God wants to do in your life and through your life. That's a powerful thing, isn't it? So here's the thing that we have to pay attention to is that one, we know that this is a fight of faith that we're engaging in in this spiritual warfare. It's always about faith. It's always about never us needing to get faith because the truth of the matter is, church, you have faith. It's never a question of you getting faith or needing faith. Everybody has faith. We just don't always put it or place it in the right thing. All of us have faith. Okay. When's the last time you went to a doctor? And they told you, you have this, and it's never going to get any better. You ever put faith in that before? You ever chose to believe that before? You ever chose to bind that to yourself before? I don't want to give anybody away because I don't have permission to share this testimony, so I'm going to leave it anonymous and let this person share it at their own time. But back in May, there's a person that goes here, and I just got off the phone with them. It was either today or yesterday. And they told me about a situation. They had asked for prayer for myself and a few others in regard to some stuff going on with thyroid. And the Lord spoke to them about getting off medication. Now, here's the thing I need to tell you is that I'm not advocating for anybody to get off their medication. That's only something God can tell you. If I have to tell you to do that, you don't need to do it. God is the one that can only give you the peace to do that. But the Lord told her she needed to get off her medication, so she did. Went back to the doctor, and the doctor really got on to her about, hey, you shouldn't have got off that medication without telling me all these terrible things could have happened. Your heart could have stopped. You've been on it for so long. This is regulating your body, all these kinds of things. And then they did the test and found out that everything was totally normal, and the doctor canceled the medication. Okay. It's easy whenever the doctor says you're going to have to take this for the rest of your life. But then, and our ability to understand how, why is that going to play out. But then the word of God is telling us that by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. And we see the testimony of Jesus. And Jesus never denied healing anybody that was sick. He healed all that were sick and oppressed of the devil. At some point in time, there's this war that starts on the inside of us. Are we going to live based upon our need to understand Are we going to live by faith in God? Are we going to mix faith totally with what this man-made authority has told us? Or are we going to deposit faith in the character and goodness of God? And if there is a meantime associated with your healing, how many of you have walked through a meantime in regards to any promise of God in your life? That meantime and you being able to get to the shore of that manifestation is totally dependent on if you remain in a place of faith. And what you do with that faith. Where you sow that faith, where you deposit that faith. That's the struggle. That's the fight. That in the midst of God's word, in the midst of what God said, you're healed. What am I going to do now with that faith? 
That's the fight that we all face. And see, here's the thing that the enemy's really attacking. The enemy's really attacking because the thing that he's the most fearful of is the Word of God. And I've got news for you. The Word of God is much bigger than letters on a page. The Word of God is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And see, here's this thing that happened in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, the devil was able to leave Adam and Eve, lead them into temptation, and the fall happened. And God came into the garden seeking fellowship, as he did every single day. Notice nothing changed on God's end. It changed on Adam and Eve's end. They covered themselves. They hid. God's like, where are you at? I want to hang out. Where'd you go? Because he's the constant one. He's the faithful one. That's why he's worthy of all of our faith. He's the one we need to have faith and trust and hope in. And what happens is, is that God talks about the consequences because of their behaviors. And I've heard some really crazy stuff that God was so mad at them. And he threw them out of the garden. And he punished them for what they had done. If you're going to go back and you read that story, they were naked and they'd sewn together some leaves. And God tells them that they have to leave the garden because of the choices that they've made. But before he has them leave, he actually kills an animal and makes them better clothes. Does that seem like a God that's really angry at the people that had messed up that before he kicked them out? If he was angry, he would have kicked them out naked. Amen? Amen. Get out of here. You messed up. You failed me. You took the time to kill an animal, make good clothes for them to wear. And if you really go and you look at that and you understand, he says that they have become like us, talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, having the understanding of both good and evil, and they can't eat from the tree of knowledge or, they'll live, or the tree of life because they'll live forever. God was worried about them staying in the garden, eating from the tree of life, and them living forever in a fallen condition. Not because he was mad, not because he was angry, but see what the enemy hijacked, and how this happens blows my mind. What he hijacked was Adam and Eve's lack of understanding. Even though they were walking in fellowship with God, they lacked understanding regarding God's goodness, regarding God's character. How many of you know that now we have the ability to know that in full because God isn't just walking beside us. He's indwelling us by means of his Holy Spirit. What a beautiful thing. What we have in the new covenant that's been made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ totally blows out of the water the covenant that God made with Adam. It's a beautiful thing. Are you following me? I'm talking spiritual tonight. Is that okay? All right. Good. So the devil asks this question, does God really say these consequences happen? But here's the thing that the Lord says. He talks about why Adam and Eve have to leave. He makes them garments of animal skin to wear. And then he says something to the devil that's profound. His word comes forward and he speaks again. And in Zach IV translation, it's this. Devil, you've won this round. But before it's all said and done, I'm going to clean your clock. He says... There's going to be somebody that's going to crush your head. Yes, you'll bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And he speaks the first messianic prophecy regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing about it, is that the devil heard that word the same way he heard the word that God gave Adam and Eve about not eating of the tree. And the devil became fearful of that word. How do I know he became fearful of this snake crusher that was going to come and clean his clock? Because... Pharaoh, a host for demonic activity, makes a decision to kill all Hebrew male babies. And this is the time that Moses is coming forward to be the deliverer. See, the devil didn't know through which 
Hebrew male, this deliverer was going to come, but he had enough understanding to know that he was coming. Why? Because even the devil believes what God says. We just need more Christians too. The devil constantly is reacting based upon what God's doing. He exposes himself. He gives away the vantage point that he thinks that he has. So the enemy tries to stop this deliverer from coming and he manifests through this physical host in Pharaoh and Pharaoh kills Hebrew male babies all throughout the land. This happens a second time. Once when Moses, the deliverer of Egypt, or the deliverer of the Israelites from Egypt is on the scene and then the second time whenever Jesus is about to come on the scene who's the fulfillment of the type and shadow that Moses was And Jesus isn't just going to lead the people out of Egypt. He's going to lead the people out of the land of sin and death. And the enemy's fearful again. And he launches another attack. And under King Herod, all babies in the land, ages two and younger, are killed. Why? Because the enemy is always attacking the word of God. That's how it works. That's what it's about. The reason that you have a bullseye on your back is because you've received that word of God, Jesus Christ, on the inside of you. And we learn in the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13 that this word, God's word, is like seed and some of it's scattered along this path. And Jesus explains the parable this way, that when God's word is released into a situation that people that lack understanding, all right, I'm going to connect this in a little bit to faith and face the way that we prove we have understanding. Here's the thing about it. How do I know that I have understanding? I have understanding... Whenever it doesn't make sense for me to believe God, but I do anyway. My faith proves that I have understanding. That's the way that I prove understanding is by faith in God. And when we don't have that faith in God's character, when we don't have that faith of God's goodness because we haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us, then God's promises, His word that come into our life, the enemy's easily able to snatch away. And if he's not able to personally do it, then he starts using circumstance around us to get us to operate in suspicion, unbelief in regards to God. The cares of this life come to try to choke out. See, the attack's always on God's word. Because the, Lord, because the devil knows that God's word getting deposited into the soil of your heart is the only thing that needs to happen for him to be toast. Because your heart's fertile ground, church. That's all it is. Whatever you plant there will grow. You plant worry and hopelessness and depression there, you'll eat bad, sour fruit for the rest of your life. You plant God's promises there. You plant God's character there. You plant the promises revealed of the word there, and what you have is good fruit springing up from your life. And your ability to analyze it from a human form of understanding isn't what proves you have understanding. The type of understanding we're after after that secures the word of God in our life is the understanding that's proven through the spiritual means of faith. Not our ability to theorize or formulize or break it down and explain it all the time. But it comes from this place of simple childlike faith. That if God really is who he says he is and really has the power that he says he has, then whatever he tells me, it's impossible for that not to come to pass in my life if I believe it. That's understanding. That's understanding. And here's the thing about it, is that we have this revelation that we step into of the devil, one, being our enemy that we're fighting, Two, the type of fight that we're fighting in this warfare is the fight of faith. And three, that the thing that's causing the enemy to come against us is the word 
of God. That's the thing that he's seeking to attack because that's the thing that possesses the potency to release the power of God in our lives, his living word and his written word. Now, if we're going to understand how to withstand this attack, this temptation that comes to us all by spiritual means through the enemy, we can't look to just how Eve messed it up and learn from that. We need to look to Jesus and see how he got it right. Do you know that Jesus faced the exact same thing that Eve did? And it also came after a word from the Lord. Adam and Eve got a word from the Lord. God's voice came and spoke. And God's word said, don't eat from this tree. Jesus got a word in Matthew chapter 3 after he was baptized. It said, this is my son, my beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. There was an establishment of identity. There was a word spoken over Christ about who he really was. And the very next chapter tells us in Matthew chapter 4 that the devil, that Jesus was led into the spirit, led by the spirit into the wilderness, and there he was going to be tempted by the devil. And the devil came to Jesus the same way that he came to Eve, and the same way that he tried to lead Eve in a place of temptation that ultimately ended in the fall of man. The devil is not creative. He's doing the exact same thing. And in fact, he poses the same question that he posed to Eve about did God really say, but he does it three different ways. If you go back and you read that account in Matthew chapter 4, he says this, if you really are the Son of God, then do this. Notice that the attack, notice that the warfare came based upon what God said about Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. When you first catch a revelation from the Lord that you're God's child, not just a soldier taking marching orders, but that you're God's beloved child, that'll be the first thing that the enemy tries to attack and show you there's no way with all the mistakes that you've made that God would ever want you sitting at his family table. When a fresh word from the Lord comes, when a fresh revelation comes, that's the place that the enemy seeks to attack because he knows in that place of you mixing faith with God's word, that will render him powerless in your life. That's how we fight a good fight of faith is by mixing faith with the word of God. That's what warfare looks like. This attack came against Jesus. God said, you're my son, my beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. A little bit of time passes and the enemy comes and says, if you are the son of God. Did God really say that you were that? Did you understand it correctly? Is it what, is it what he was really trying to communicate? Is it good theology for you to believe that way? Is it responsible for you to believe that way? What evidence do you have to prove that fact? Are you sure it just wasn't hyper-emotionalism, Jesus, that you came up out of the water? And maybe you got a little bit of water in your inner ear and your equilibrium was off and what you really heard was somebody saying something from the bank that they didn't really say and God really didn't tell you that. You came down in faith and you had prayer team members lay hands on you and you think you felt some warmth in your body. You think you experienced a touch from the Lord, but that symptom is still there, so there's no way that you're really healed. Did God really say that to you? You sound like you fought this fight before. What makes the difference? I'll tell you what makes the difference. Jesus. And what he reveals to us in Matthew chapter 4. Essentially, this is how it went down. Three times, the enemy waged warfare against the Lord through questioning God's word in his life, which is always what the devil does, is to question God's word in your life, God's promise in your life, God's goodness in your life, God's character in your life, because he's the accuser. It's what he does. 
And when he can't get you to question God's character anymore, he'll just get you to question your brothers and sisters in the church and their character. Then he'll get you to question the integrity and the character of your spouse. Then he'll get you to question the integrity and character of your coworkers. You following me? He's the accuser. Day and night, all he does is he deals in accusation. So the enemy's voice is really easy for me to spot. Because as soon as I hear accusation, I know it's the devil. Simple. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love's quick to deal in mercy before harsh judgment, condemnation. Are you following me? You're making me nervous. Please don't keep conversation with the devil. He's not who you need to be talking to. You need to be talking to the Lord. The enemy attacks Jesus. Three temptations. All questioning the word of God. And essentially the devil asked Jesus the same question he asked Eve. He said, did God really tell you that? And I love Jesus' response. It's pretty much, yep. Did God really tell you that? Yep. Thanks for reminding me. That's, that's how you need to interact with the devil. Did God really say that about you? Is that promise, is that dream really going to come to pass in your life? Ah, yes, praise God. Thanks for reminding me. I need to start prophesying that direction more. I need to get some people to pray with me on that. That thing is overdue. Thanks for the reminder. Did God really say? Jesus said, yep. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you're, and see, then the devil finally, in the third time, he gives away the thing that he's really after. Because he can't help but give himself away because he's just stupid. Can I be honest with you? I just, I just, it drives me just totally nuts. I just, he says, see all the kingdoms of the world? See all the people that you've come to save? I know that you know where this thing's headed. Because see, the devil knows the Bible better than most Christians. He's read Isaiah about the suffering servant and what the Messiah was going to have to go through to buy back the world. So he showed him it all, everything that he was after, every human being. He said, it's all under my control and my power. We can bypass the cross, Jesus. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. I know why you're here. Between me and you, I'll let it all go. I won't put up a fight. I won't manifest through Pilate. I won't manifest through the Pharisees. I'll back off. All I want is you to worship me. Let me tell you something, what I heard a worship leader say one time. Worship is a currency so valuable that Lucifer allowed himself to be totally removed from God's presence in heaven just so he could have a moment of it. What you worship is determined by what you put your faith in. Jesus had a truth from the Lord of what he was going to have to go through. The devil tried to tempt him with a shortcut. I can tell you this, that a promise from God in your life might have a difficult process, but don't take the enemy's shortcut. Because see, the thing that he was really after was this. In the first two, he didn't bring up anything about worship. But if the devil would have responded and reacted to what the devil was doing, he would have given him the same thing. Because that's what worship is. Worship is responding in a place of obedience. 
Worship at the end of the day is not just what we do whenever we play worship. See, the church fathers over the years, the past 2,000 years of church history, there's this Latin phrase that came in the church, and it's lex orande, lex creende. It means this, the way that you worship is proven by the way that you live. What determines what you're worshiping is not the song lyrics. What determines what you're worshiping is based upon what moves you. What infiltrates your decision making, what you're obedient to. The devil tempted Jesus with two things because what he's really seeking is worship. He's hungry for it. It's what he craves, which is why it drives him absolutely nuts when no matter what he throws at you, you make a decision to worship and stay in a place of reverence and obedience before God. Check this out. As soon as Jesus stood his ground, and what's also interesting is also scary is that the devil quoted scripture whenever he was tempting Jesus. He said, if you're really the son of God, throw yourself down off the pinnacle of the temple because I know it's written. He's given angels charge over you to guard you and protect you in all your ways. Paul says that we can't even allow another gospel presented to us even if an angel comes and presents it to us because he says that even our adversary, the devil, masquerades as an angel of light. What's the thing that's the filter between all those things? The Word of God. And us putting our faith in that. That's the fight. It's always a fight of faith. It's always a fight for faith. Devil said, did God really say? Jesus said, yep. You know what that's called? Faith. Jesus was hungry. He had eaten for 40 days. He could easily turn the stones into bread and eat. You know that, right? Because he was God. He said, no. But I was led by the Spirit in the wilderness too fast because I knew you were coming. See, there in Jesus' model, he was actually led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was able to overcome, not just because he had put his faith in God in a moment, because he was living a life of faith-based obedience, worship with God daily. And the Lord brought him into a place that he wants to bring us all, which is proactivity in regards to our spiritual fight, not just reactivity. The scripture says the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into all truth. He's the great teacher that reveals all things. What if he knew a fight was coming before it started? That's living the model of Jesus. I'm out of time. Praise God. You know, just in closing... In the Gospels, we constantly see Jesus praising people for their faith. And we see him rebuking people because of their unbelief. You know, the people whose faith got praised weren't the people that didn't encounter resistance. They were the people that had faith in the midst of their resistance. Because they believed that Jesus was the word of God made flesh. And that an encounter with him could change everything. It's the fight of faith they were pressing through. Think of the woman with the issue of blood. She had faith in the word of God, Jesus Christ, who was willing to push through the resistance of the crowd just to touch the hem of his garment. And Jesus said that was faith. Not the fact that she didn't encounter resistance, but the fact that she was stubborn and deliberate in who God was and who God is. Think about the paralyzed man who got lowered through the roof of the house in order to get close to Jesus. Faith in the word of God. Faith in Jesus Christ. The fight of faith. And how we engage in the fight of faith 
is connected to how the miracle manifests in our life, how the breakthrough manifests in our life. There's a lot of things Jesus could have referred to faith as. He chose a mustard seed. Why? Pick something that was super small so he wouldn't ever get confused about having a great quantity of faith. He said, just take the little bit that all of you have. And he said, a seed for a reason, because for a seed to grow, it has to be planted. And there's something deliberate and stubborn about a planted seed. A planted seed doesn't have the ability to take root if you dig it up all the time, does it? A seed that's planted and it's left alone. A mind that's made up that this is God's word and I won't put up with anything less than that is the fight of faith. The fight of faith says this is what God has said and that seed of faith is going to stay planted in my life. And even if I encounter resistance, I'm not changing my mind on it. And when the devil said, did God really tell you that? Your response is going to be, yep, thanks for reminding me. Faith in the world today and by people in the world and of the world is rebuked. It's scoffed at. It's rejected. But it's amened by God. Unbelief is rebuked by God. But it's amened by men. Skepticism is amened by men. Unbelief is celebrated. We're going to live a spiritual life and fight the good warfare. We have to learn that we're fighting a fight of faith. And what happens in that time of resistance, what happens in that time of warfare has the capacity to set the tone for it ultimately manifests in our lives. And our will, our understanding has to be realigned by God's word if we're really going to expect God's will to come to pass in our lives. I'll say it again. God's, our will our understanding of a situation, our perception of a situation, our understanding of a fight that we might currently be in has to be realigned, it has to be recalibrated by God's word if we're going to see God's will come to pass in that situation. We're going to fight a good fight. We have to mix faith with what God says. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for a group of people here this evening that are committed to grow by means of the Holy Spirit, the great teacher, in their understanding regarding this fight of faith. Father, today I pray that we would be moved, not by what the devil's screaming at us, or by what our own carnal minds want to disbelieve, but we choose to be moved out of what God's whispering to our hearts. We choose to respond to the accusations of the enemy by an increased faith and hope in God's character and His goodness. That in every season, you, Lord Jesus, are stable, secure, and constant. And we can trust you. We can hope in you. Father, I pray for people in the room tonight that have been moved by the enemy into a place of questioning the goodness of God. Questioning God's character and God's faithfulness. And Father, I pray for a recalibration through your word that was proclaimed tonight. Father, if there's one here struggling in this area, then tonight was worth it for them to be recentered back on your word of truth. To be refocused and recalibrated back to standing in faith. 
not falling to our knees in unbelief. Jesus, we say that all your promises are true. We believe that your word, in accordance with the prophet Isaiah, is sent out. And once your word is sent out, it will not come back to you void. It will accomplish what it was sent out to do. So, Father, I thank you for, in this room tonight, people coming back into an awareness of what you've said concerning their situation. What you've spoken to them individually, privately. What dreams you've given them. Father, I pray tonight that we would fight good warfare. Saying we're not going to be moved by what we see. We're not going to be moved by what we feel. But we're going to allow ourselves to be cemented in, firmly planted and established in this eternal life made possible through faith in Jesus Christ. And that kind of life is a life of abundance. We submit to you and we resist the accusations of the enemy and we believe that he is fleeing from us today as we stand in faith. Everybody said, Amen.